Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. We have a better covenant upon better promises, and we have a better relationship with God. All these things we strive for and work for and hope for and pray for, we already have those things because Jesus gave it all to us. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Friday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. Today, I'm continuing to teach on a subject that I've entitled, A Better Way to Pray. We're talking about prayer, and uh, I've got a book on this. This is the Spanish version, Una Mejor Manera de Ora, something like that. And I've also got it in English, and then I've got it in CD and DVD. And the first week, the first four days of this week, I took the approach that Jesus took in Matthew chapter 6 and taught about what prayer was not. He started off in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 by saying, hypocrites love to pray. And I've just been hitting some of the sacred cows concerning prayer, some of the traditions and doctrines of men that make the word of no effect. And I tell you, there's a lot of people that never make it past my first little segment talking about what prayer is not. They get so offended because I ch uh, challenge, counter their religious traditions. But as I said on one of my programs earlier this week, most people aren't experiencing a very effective prayer life. And if it's not working for you, why do you fight so hard to defend what isn't working? You know, there is a better way to pray. I am not saying that I am perfect. I'm still learning. I'm still receiving knowledge, but I'm telling you, everything I'm teaching against, I did at one time. And even though I loved God and I would see some results, I am getting better results now. And I believe I get better results in prayer than most people do. I'm not saying that in a boastful way. I'm saying it in a grateful way that I have seen my own children, my own wife raised from the dead. I have seen awesome miracles happen. I see blind eyes open, deaf ears open. You know, we're in the process of building an entire Bible college campus and we have seen tens of millions of dollars supplied. I'm seeing people's lives changed. I'm, you know, I'm just seeing results in every area. And what I'm saying is that if you aren't seeing results, well, then you ought to at least entertain the possibility that maybe there's a better way to pray. So I know that some of the things that I've said in the first four days have really offended a lot of people because I go against the way your mama prayed, the way your great-grandmama prayed, and it's offensive and stuff. But I'm just saying that if it's not working for you, you ought to at least be open to the possibility that maybe there's a better way to pray. So what I want to begin to talk about now is going to lay a foundation for all of the other things that I'm going to say about prayer. And basically, there is a huge difference between the way a New Testament believer prays and the way an Old Testament believer prayed. There's a huge difference. And most people don't really make a clear distinction. To most people, the only difference between the Old and the New Covenant is one blank page in your Bible. And I mean, that's just about it. Most people look at it as all being one thing. 
And certainly all of these scriptures were given by God and they are profitable for our doctrine and reproof. But there is a huge difference after Jesus came and the way that we now pray and relate to God and the way it was done in the old covenant. And so much of what I see that is being done wrong in the area of prayer is because people don't make a distinction. They are praying the way that David prayed, the way that Moses prayed, the way that Elijah prayed. And these are wrong. Am I saying that they were wrong? No, they were right at the time because Jesus hadn't come and hadn't made a way to the Father and there is a difference now. So it was appropriate for them at the time, but it's wrong for us to pray this way. Let me just take an example here out of one of David's prayers. This is in Psalms chapter 51, and this is where he repented of his sin with Bathsheba. And he not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, but he murdered Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, trying to cover up his adultery. And so here's some things that David said in Psalms chapter 51, the subscript of this Psalm says, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And so this is his prayer, a prayer of repentance after his sin with Bathsheba. And he says in verse one, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. This is a reference to in the Old Testament when they dedicated the altar and made sacrifices. They took hyssop, which was a plant, and they would dip it in the blood and then they would sprinkle it on the altar and on the person and things like this. And it was uh, a way of applying the blood and making an atonement. So this is what he's saying. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. And look at this in verse 10. These are the verses that I was really wanting to get to. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Did you know that there's actually songs that are sung in the New Testament church today that I've heard that quote these verses, create in me a clean heart, O God. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Did you know it was completely appropriate for David to pray this because he was on the other side of the cross. The atonement for his sins had not been made yet and all of the Old Testament sacrifices were only symbolic. It says in Hebrews chapter nine that the sacrifices, the Old Testament animal sacrifices could never purge sin. It was only symbolic. It only covered up sin. It never purged it. And so it was appropriate for David to be praying this because Jesus had not died 
and had not forgiven his sins. He was saved by looking forward to what Jesus would do. We're saved by looking back to what Jesus has already done. And so it was appropriate for him, but it's inappropriate for us to say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The scripture says in Hebrews chapter eight and other places, I could turn over there and show these to you. But when you get born again, you are given a new heart. God writes his law on your heart. For a Christian to be praying, creating me a clean heart is not appropriating what has already been done. Now, if you aren't saved, if you've never made Jesus Lord, it would be appropriate for you to pray that, but you have to pray specifically and receive Jesus because that's the way that you get this clean heart and a new spirit on the inside of you. But if you're already a Christian, you should not be saying, creating me a clean heart. You do have a clean heart. Even if you've gone out and sinned, it doesn't change your heart. It doesn't change that spirit man on the inside. And then he says, cast me not away from your presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I hear people pray this all the time. I hear them sing it in this song. I hear people say, oh God, don't leave me. You know, you'll get into church and they'll say, oh God, just go with us as we leave this place. What a dumb prayer that is. I mean, we're talking about prayer and I'm telling you that unless you begin to start having some faith and some understanding, your prayers are going to be ineffective just the way that most people's prayers are. But we pray these prayers and say, oh God, go with us as we leave this place. When we enter into church, we say, oh God, come and be with us. Those are stupid prayers. How's God going to answer a prayer like this when he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I'm with you even unto the end of the world. It says in Matthew chapter 18 that where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. It's talking about that there is a special manifest presence of God anytime his children get together. He's promised that he will always do that. And yet we say, oh God, come and be with us. Now that's just totally in disbelief or either ignorance is the best way you could look at it. But in most places, it's just disbelief. People say, well, I know that he said he'd never leave us. He's always with us. He's going to be here when two or three are gathered together. I know it says that, but I don't feel it. I haven't seen anybody jump a pew. Nobody's screamed. Nobody's fallen on the floor. No goosebump has gone up and down my spine. And so since I can't see it or feel it, then I just don't believe it. Oh God, come and be with us as we meet. That's a prayer of unbelief. That's going to release bad things, not good things. You know, I go to a church and I don't agree with everything that goes on, but I go there because it's a big church and I can hide in any way. Uh, this is one of the things that I really disagree with. They're always begging God to come and be with them when he promised that he would be there. And there was one time that we were worshiping the Lord and I tell you, the presence of God was powerful. I was just really enjoying the praise and worship. We were glorifying God. And I guess other people begin to feel the presence of God and the person leading the praise and worship stood up and started saying, come Lord, come, come. Oh, we beg you to come. Oh God. And he started pleading with God when the presence of God was already present and it was already manifest. And yet he was pleading and begging God to come. And from my perspective, I don't know if everybody felt this way, but from my perspective, the presence of God that was already manifest just evaporated when he started begging God to come. Now, I know that God didn't leave, but I'm saying his manifest presence, the anointing, 
left when he started getting into unbelief and praying an unscriptural prayer and begging God to come as if the word wasn't true. I'm telling you, God never leaves us nor forsakes us. We don't have to ask him to go with us. We don't have to beg him to come when we get together. There is a difference between the way New Testament believers pray and the way Old Testament believers pray. And when I get into talking about intercession and how we intercede for people, there is a huge difference between the way it was done in the Old Covenant and the way it's done in the New Covenant. And here's one of the verses that really makes this very clear to me. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And look at this in verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This is a huge statement right here. There is only one mediator between God and man. A mediator is a person who arbitrates or stands in between two people or two parties that are opposed to each other and tries to bring them into reconciliation. Over in Galatians chapter 3, it talks about that the uh, law was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator and it calls Moses a mediator. Moses was a person who stood between God and the people. Matter of fact, in the 32nd chapter, you can see where God got so angry because they had made this molten calf that he wanted to wipe out all of the people. And he told Moses, I'm going to start over with you and I'll take your descendants and I'll make them a mighty nation. And Moses stood there and said, repent, O God. He told God to repent. And the amazing thing is in Exodus chapter 32, it says that God repented. Moses stood between an angry God who was mad at the people and he interceded for the people and told God to repent and God repented. But he was a mediator. He was a person standing between two people who were opposed. In the New Testament, this says that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is now our mediator. Jesus changed everything. It was appropriate for Moses to pray the way he did. It was appropriate for David to pray the way he did because Jesus hadn't come. Man had not been reconciled unto God and there was this division between God and man. And God needed people that would stand there and plead for the mercy of God. But when Jesus came, Jesus became the only mediator and he ended all of that type of mediation for New Testament believers to plead with God not to leave them, to create in them a clean heart, to repent, not pour out his wrath, or as Abraham prayed and begged God not to destroy all of Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 50 righteous people and then 45 and 40, etc. For people to plead with God that way in the new covenant is an insult to Jesus because Jesus, when he came, he mediated between God and man perfectly, being a God-man. He was the perfect mediator 
between God and man, and he forever settled the issue. He totally satisfied the wrath of God in uh, John chapter 12, verse 32. He became sin for us. He took all of God's judgment against us, drew it unto himself, and now God's wrath has been satisfied through Jesus. God is no longer angry. He's not ticked off. He's not mad at us. He's not even in a bad mood. Jesus has totally satisfied the wrath and the punishment of God, and He now ever lives to make intercession for us. And if we try and intercede and ask God to turn from His fierce wrath and repent, if we beg Him not to leave us or to come and be with us and all this, we, in a sense, are denying the mediation of the Lord Jesus. This says that now there is only one mediator. Moses was a mediator. If Moses was still alive and if Moses was interceding and trying to pray for people the way he did back in Exodus chapter 32, Moses would re be rebuked. He would be rebuked for being antichrist. Now that Christ has come and that Christ has paid the price it is wrong for us to pray the way people prayed in the Old Testament because Jesus has made a difference. He's satisfied the wrath of God. He's poured out the grace of God. It says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. And John chapter 1 says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus, that he was full of grace and of his grace have all we received. Jesus forever satisfied those things. And now if we try and pray and approach God the way people did under the Old Testament, we are anti-Christ. We are against Christ. We, I'm not saying that you are of the devil. I'm saying that that attitude is against what Christ has done. And sadly, the body of Christ does not fully comprehend that Jesus made us accepted with God. They think that we still have to plead and we have to make ourselves accepted with God based our own, on our own performance. That's anti-Christ. It's against the work of Christ. And much of what is taught about prayer in the church today is anti-Christ. We are taught that we have to plead with God and beg God to pour out His Spirit and we have to get God motivated to save people and we have to intercede and stand in the gap for them. I'm telling you, Jesus did this stuff. There is a right way to pray and intercede, but it is not the way that it is being done in the body of Christ today. And I'm gonna get into this in more detail, talking specifically about intercession but the bottom line is what it's talking about right here, that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. And so we do not have to take that responsibility. Matter of fact, if we take the responsibility and try and somehow or another get God to move and try and make God do something, then we are undermining what Jesus has done. Jesus has forever won the favor of God for us. He has put us, He has reconciled us is what it says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. He's made us friendly with God. He's brought us into harmony. Jesus did all of that for us. And anytime you think that you have to do something to make yourself acceptable to God, you have to do something to make God pleased with you. You have to intercede to get this person to receive, to get this done. You've got to grab hold of God. You've got to make God do something then you are standing against 
Jesus. There are examples of people doing those very things in the Old Testament, but that's because Jesus hadn't come. We hadn't been reconciled unto God. There was this separation and we needed mediators to stand between us and God. But in the New Testament, Jesus has ended all of that type of mediation. He is now the one mediator between God and man. And the scripture says he ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus has won the favor of God. And now as a New Testament believer, we need to rest in what Jesus has already done instead of trying to redo what Jesus has already done. Somehow or another to add to what Jesus has done. You can't add to it. The moment you start trying to add your effort in there and you do something to make God move, then you have just polluted the whole thing. It's either total faith in what Jesus did for us and that's what gains us acceptance with God or the moment you start trying to add to it and of course it takes Jesus, but you also have to be holy. You also have to pray. You also have to make something happen. The moment you start doing that, you have corrupted and polluted the entire thing. Jesus plus nothing except your faith in him and what he did equals everything. But Jesus plus anything equals nothing. The moment you start adding your effort, your goodness to what Jesus has done, you corrupt the whole thing. Man, that, those are powerful, powerful statements. And I'm telling you, this is a attitude, a truth here that most people do not understand. And because of it, they aren't praying New Testament prayers. They aren't going through Jesus, the only mediator between God and man. They are really trusting their own goodness, their own holiness. And that's the very thing that makes your prayers ineffective. Once you understand that Jesus has totally satisfied the demands of God and there is nothing left to do except just believe and receive or doubt and do without. It's just whether you receive or not, you don't make God do anything. You don't make him heal. You don't make him provide finances. Your prayers don't make God do anything. Jesus is that mediator. He's the one that stood there and arbitrated with God. And unless you understand this, if you have this mindset, this Old Testament mindset that you're going to go in and grab hold of the horns of the altar and shake it until God comes out, you are going to make God pour out his power. You are going to force God to do something. If you have that mindset, I say this in love, but you are anti-Christ. You are against what Jesus has done. There's only one mediator between God and man, and it's not you. It's Jesus. And so we have to approach God the Father 100% on the basis of what Jesus has done and not your goodness, not your intercession for somebody else. God is more prone to answer your prayers than you are to have them answered. He already has done his part. He supplied everything. He wants to prosper you. It's not a matter of begging, pleading with God twisting God's arm and making something happen. It's a matter of learning how to rest in what Jesus has already done. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God already had determined a purpose for your life, a God-given purpose. God has a purpose to train you in what you're called to do. And I tell you, Karis Bible College is the place for that. 
Man, if you want a life change, come to Karis. Come on to Karis. The next two to three years could be the most powerful time of your life. If you sit under the Word for four hours a day, for five days a week, for two or three years, I guarantee you, you are going to have God speak to you and start revealing purpose to you. Every one of you were created for a purpose. Do you know what that purpose is? Karis Third Year is equipping an army to go into the seven mountains of influence in every society. In our third year school of ministry, students will interact and learn from ministers currently serving in the fivefold ministry. Everybody has a calling. Everybody is separated unto something. In our third year school of business, students will learn from experienced professionals on how to implement and run a successful business. In our third year school of leadership, students will experience a blend of business and ministry school courses in a flexible night school program. It's an awesome thing to be able to unwrap what God is waiting for us and be able to be truly equipped to be able to go into the world and not only minister, but to be effective. In our third year school of missions, students will hear firsthand from those serving in the mission field. Students will be immersed in another culture and experience missionary life firsthand through a six-week missions experience. In our third year School of World Outreach, students will receive training in the leadership and business management skills necessary to establish and build a sustainable ministry. In our third year School of Practical Government, students will be equipped with a solid foundation to effectively impact the arena of government. In our third year School of Creative Arts, students will develop the skills to succeed in the entertainment industry. In our third year School of Worship Arts, students will learn how to lead the body of Christ in genuine worship with character and integrity. In our third year School of Media, students will develop the skills to effectively communicate and tell stories through multiple mediums. For more information on our third year schools, go to charisbiblecollege.org slash third year. Chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, tennis elbow, plantar fasciitis, I'm completely healed. So if you don't have your expectation on by now, you better get it on. Glory to God that healing is already paid for. I just believe that God is the God of miracles. I'm going to go and get back what the devil stole. Right now I don't have any pain. I'm calling us to a greater place of signs, wonders, and miracles. I will not be using the wheelchair ever again. It's time for you to get up and take your authority and tell the devil where to go. Experience healing, August 13th through 16th at our Healing Is Here Conference 2019 in Woodland Park, Colorado. Register online at our website or call us at 719-635-1111. Andrew's teaching titled, A Better Way to Pray is available in the Better Way to Pray package, which includes two books, a Better Way to Pray and The Believer's Authority, as well as your choice of either the CD albums or DVD albums from both teachings. This package has a catalog value of $105, but you can get it today for only $75. 
If you prefer, the Better Way to Pray resources are available individually as either a book, study guide, CD album, or DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. Each of these valuable resources is available for a gift of any amount. Go to awmi.net to see all the ways you can get these products. The individual topic highlighted on today's broadcast is available as an audio CD for a gift of any amount when you write or call. We encourage everyone to give because there's a blessing in giving. But if you're simply unable to afford it, Andrew and his partners will provide today's teaching free of charge. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. 